Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'd like to welcome a very special guest with us from the United Kingdom, Dr. Salman Butt. He's an activist. He's a scientist. Uh, he has been involved in the da'wah for many years, right from his university days and afterwards. He's a chief editor for Islam 21C, bringing the message of Islam to the 21st century. And he also has a blog on the Huffington Post. We like to welcome you, Dr. Salman. Ahlan. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa Thanks for having me on. Uh, and we appreciate you being on as well, especially given the time difference. Uh, it's, uh, you know, 1 a.m. <laughs> past 1 a.m. in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So we thank you uh, for making this accommodation, uh, especially. Nice what day is it there? It is still Thursday here. Thursday, okay. We've been Friday for for ages. Yes, yes. Good. So you, you are ahead of us, you know, alhamdulillah. I can say Jum'a Mubarak, but you can't, you have to wait until you... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can do an RSVP. I can give you uh, a rain check on the Jum'a Mubarak <laughs> when our uh, time zones uh, interact or overlap, inshallah. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Salman, we find ourselves in a very unique time period in history. Like, this is going to be in the history books. Uh, what has been your personal experience thus far during this pandemic? You guys are currently in lockdown, obviously, uh, many things associated with that. But what has your experience been? I mean, um, personally, I think uh, I know it's it's quite maybe, um, you know, it's, it's very sad for those who've lost loved ones and, um, you know, people who have uh, suffered from the virus. But uh, despite all of that, you know, the silver lining is that, um, you know, I've been managed to get so much done in this uh, during lockdown. Alhamdulillah, you know, it's, um, you know, I love I love working from home anyway, normally with the Sam 21C stuff and uh, just having that time to spend with the family and, um, you know, reconnect with things. And uh, especially Ramadan, a lot of brothers and sisters were saying this Ramadan was, you know, for us a special one, even though, you know, the masajid were closed. Um you know, the, the ability to just be in seclusion, it was like a month-long kind of mini i'tikaf, uh, so yes. to speak. So, alhamdulillah, you know, there's uh, there's always more good, there's always more maslaha than there is mafsada in anything Allah decrees. There's always yes. more good than, and, and, and benefit than there is harm. And alhamdulillah, you know, inshallah, may Allah take uh, a shuhada, all the brothers and sisters that have passed away as a result of this, and give uh, sabr mm-hmm. to their families. But you know, uh, in terms of us, alhamdulillah, we have good health. We have so much to be grateful for, alhamdulillah. Yes, uh, it, it, I've spoken with uh, our some of our previous guests, and they've echoed uh, similar sentiments where mm-hmm. they found more time for ibadat. They've, you know, some of these people are speakers. They travel uh, quite extensively. Or, yeah. for example, many people maintain their work schedule where they're going out. So then maybe they come home, they're tired, they might go to the masjid, but then it's just a whirlwind for them day in and day out until uh, Ramadan's over. So this slowed down the pace a little bit here. And um, there is a lot of benefits for that. And I've commented previously that, uh, you know, to a degree, it kind of lifted up the, uh, the curtain of this emphasis on this materialistic, like, you know, rat race type of lifestyle yeah. where you give that the main priority because most people like I've been doing this myself for many years, actually, where I from 
the beginning of the year, I schedule the month of Ramadan, so it's going to be very, very light, and I can focus on certain things. Mm. But for a lot of people, they got a taste of, hey, what happens when you're able to slow down the pace a little bit, and you're able to uh, have that time for ibadat, for reflection, yeah. uh, for some uh, introspection. So how, how about the family time? It's been good, productive, or has the family developed uh, cabin fever? Uh, because that's also a thing that's going around. People are, are, are on each uh, other's nerves. Yeah, and 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 you know, there's a lot of the anti-lockdown protesters are saying mm. that uh, oh, there's uh, suicides going up, and people are going crazy, and mental illness, and all of these different things. So, from somebody who's all obviously had a good experience, mm. what is the formula? How do you replicate that uh, similar type of experience? Alhamdulillah, I mean, I'm really grateful because I don't live in like uh, London anymore. In my house, I live a bit fur further out of London and the houses and stuff are much, uh, you know, uh, bigger and more open uh, compared to London is very expensive. So Alhamdulillah, we have the um, the the privilege of having a basically an office uh, in my house. So, you know, I, this is a place, you know, my man cave where I can just kind of yeah. get away from everything, get my work done and then I can go. Uh, you know, periodically in and out and back to my family and stuff. So having that separation is very, very, you know, useful for us. And um, yeah, it's true. A lot of people are suffering, uh, kind of getting uh, getting on each other's nerves and stuff. And fortunately, it's precipitating a lot of uh, domestic violence as well. You know, a friend of mine, his sister, she's she works in hospital, and they're saying that you know they they're, they're seeing uh, a, 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 an influx of um, women in particular being mm -hmm. uh, victims of domestic violence uh, in hospital, for example. So. Okay. Um, it's a very, uh, very delicate situation, uh, sure. you know, but um, me personally, Alhamdulillah, even uh, despite, you know, uh, you know, we, we had a very, very good time in the house, despite my wife being in and out of hospital herself because she was uh, expecting and we had a baby just two weeks ago, Alhamdulillah. Uh, that was a really unique experience as well, you know, having yes. a baby in, in lockdown. Um, yes, mashallah, tabarakallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is blessing you during this time. Yeah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So, uh, was it a baby boy or girl? Girl. Girl, girl. okay. Mashallah, mashallah. Uh, so, yeah, that must have been a unique experience. Uh, to, yeah, I mean, they didn't let that. anyone yeah. else in into the hospital uh, yeah. for most of the most of the uh, time she was there. Um, yeah. So I was basically just uh, waiting outside, and only during the the kind of delivery yeah. part did they let one person in uh, okay. myself. So. Okay. Uh, because of the coronavirus and stuff, but Alhamdulillah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. yeah. Um, yeah it's all—it's already like uh, so hard. Like I've been uh, with my wife through some deliveries, and you already feel kind of useless. Like I wish I could do more <laughs> <laughs> for you, you know. <laughs> and uh, you're already, uh, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. an added level of uh, separation, right? Like you're just kind of like, okay, I'm I'm here for emotional support. They—they <laughs> uh, they do all the work during that time, right? Yeah, it's so. Fun, but alhamdulillah, I'm glad that everything went uh, uh, well for you uh, during that period. And um, the fact that you mentioned that uh, domestic violence has gone up, what does that say about us? Like, what does it say about, um, like, it's supposed to be muadda and rahma, right? Like, mm. like, this is what the marriage, this is what a household should be established upon. What what's what does that say about us that you know we when we have too much time with each other we're we're going to that mm. level you know instead of muaddan rahma it's like this uh, type of like uh, dhulm 
instead, yeah. you know? Ghadab. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'd like to say, I'd like to think that, you know, Muslims aren't uh, part of those people who are kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, represented in that increase in um, domestic violence cases. But the truth, truth is, you know, we're probably just as, um, it's probably just as common amongst uh, Muslims, unfortunately. Um, and I think one of the, the 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 best piece of advice I got when I got married, I got married eleven years ago, Alhamdulillah. Um, it was read this book: Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> <laughs> really, that was the yeah, best was, piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, this is Talib yeah. Ilm. He's giving me this advice like oh, a sheikh yeah. now, mashallah. He's big beard yeah. and kind of hat and robes oh, okay. and everything. Yeah, but but he's, how big he's is going to tell me yeah. some? No, yeah. book of hadith or something to read about 40 hadith yeah, yeah, of marriage or something. He said, No, no, read John Gray's Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus. He said, That was the best advice I got, and that's yeah. the best advice I'm giving to you. Yeah. And uh, it shows really how to, you know, how to deal, how to act and uh, interact with uh, the opposite sex generally. It's very, very useful um, because okay. we get into problems when, uh, you know, the, the husband kind of treats his wife like another bro. Or the wife treats her husband like she's just speaking to one of the sisters. And because of fundamental differences in the way we're wired and stuff, I'm sure you know more about this than I do. Um, you know, the, we, we end up kind of miscommunicating and um, falling into certain kind of uh, regular traps, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of them being, you know, to give a man his space. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When he comes, yeah. comes in, you know. Don't kind of just speak to him straight away, but let him kind of, mm. kind of, I don't know, reset his brain or whatever first, and then, yeah. you know, he'll he'll be ready for kind of emotional yeah. interaction and, and speaking and stuff. I feel that's particular uh, true for practicing brothers. You know, like back in the days with uh, the student association, the Muslim students mm. association, like the practicing brothers don't have very much interaction with sisters. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't have that experience. And, uh, and, uh, like, uh, well, I'm saying the practicing brothers, right? So inherently you you assume that they have a certain, uh, code of conduct. But what I noticed is that some of the sisters would say like, you know, this brother, man, he, they would take it in a wrong way. Like this brother, I say salam to him. He doesn't respond to the salam. You know what I mean? And I, I, I would try to relate to them. I'm like, do you know that these brothers are like frightened of sisters? Like mm. they feel awkward talking to sisters. So it's not like they don't think you're they don't. It's not like they're looking at you as subhuman or something like that. They're ignoring you. They're just like very awkward around sisters because they don't have that like experience mm. interacting with uh, sisters in a casual way. So I think that that's a very valid point that mm. uh, to understand, hey, they, their, their nature is different, you know. Um, and it's not like, um, you know, we shouldn't take the nature that we are created with as being offensive, you know, that, yeah. oh, it's offensive because, you know, you, you are a certain way, you know, mm. but, uh, yeah. that was the best advice. Huh? What, what was the worst advice that you got? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, actually, I didn't get much advice. Yeah. I think the worst advice is, um, yeah. I don't know if it's bad actually, but. Yeah. Don't smile. We say this. There's a thing, thing um, that they tell teachers, right? Yeah. And that's don't smile until Christmas. Okay. So the the uh, the idea is, you know, when you have a new classroom of, of students, yeah. if you start off, yeah. you know, um, happy and friendly and stuff, they'll kind of um, take advantage of you. If you start off as stern and serious and then loosen up afterwards, they'll appreciate yeah. more and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So there's some people are kind of giving that advice, but I'm not sure yeah. if that works. I, you know, I yeah. think you have to play by ear. Every every yeah. couple is different. The dynamics is different there. I don't want to get any brothers beaten up or anything. Yeah, yeah. I think the worst advice that I used to see are from brothers who weren't even married. So there are some <laughs> times vocal brothers. I remember a brother, like this is a long time ago. This was like maybe 15 years, 16 years ago. And there was a brother who was... Um, going around uh, giving a CD, a lecture that he had recorded on how to treat Muslim women, okay? Awesome. And uh, this brother was not married, though. You know what I mean? Like, how to treat, like, properly a Muslim. Uh, and, and then I, I said, are you married? He's like, no, 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 I'm not married. Uh, but do you know any sisters that want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, uh -huh. what? Like, why? Uh, where, where, where did you make this? How did you make this CD, right? So... Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the because, you know, sometimes with the brothers, they just regurgitate advice they would see, like without experience, like the yeah. sister is always right uh, or the woman's always right. But that's like, you know, that doesn't make sense to have a, <laughs> uh, a fruitful relationship. Yeah. So we had a brief conversation the other day uh, to get to one another. One other. Uh, you know, this is our basically uh, first time we're getting to know one another. And, um, you know, mashallah, I really appreciate your experience in the dawah. Uh, and, and now, like, I love the fact that you do Islam 21C full time because mm -hmm. I'm a big I'm a big proponent. If we're going to get proper revival, we need to give this Ihsan. And that means full time. Mm -hmm. That means putting your heart and soul into it. Like if some like uh, pimply teenager uh, can do a startup like and just put full time into like these tech companies and then, you know, just put everything, not get paid and just put everything into it for the hope of one, one time getting paid. Uh, and make yeah. that risk because that's a big risk. Why can't we risk things, right? Because maybe it's not as uh, stable or uh, of an income, although it's getting better. Uh, and uh, mm. maybe there's not as much support or societally or within our community. It's not looked uh, upon uh, as much in a higher light as other professions. Um, mm. So I feel that putting that is, 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 is a proper evolution for us to take the Dawah to the next level. I, I truly believe that. So I'm very, very happy to see you do that. And I'm also happy mm -hmm. to see that although we've had completely different, uh, you know, backgrounds in terms of like maybe the you're in the UK, European context, there's mm -hmm. a lot of similarities. One of the similarities that I've identified uh, is the fact that there is a heavy emphasis in a lot of your work that comes to Tarbiya, right? So yeah. the, the development of the individual. So what does that mean from where you came from? Like, what kind of role has Tarbiya played? And uh, have you found it to be important and crucial uh, in your development? SubhanAllah, you know, I think a, a lot of people say, uh, our murabbis as well, they say, our mentors, they say, you know, that we're undergoing like a crisis of Tarbiya uh, in the Ummah. Um, particularly, you know, in the UK, and, and I'm sure this is the case uh, all over the world. That is, we have a lot of we've inherited kind of um, mode, uh, kind of uh, modes of looking at uh, education and learning and so forth uh, from other cultures and other periods of history, where they look at, for example, um, the development of the individual as simply kind of learning, uh, kind of information, uh, and the and and the kind of uh, the metaphor given for this is kind of pouring. Um, liquid from one vessel into the next. You know, this was the the the, the kind of um, a common metaphor for how many of us grew up uh, in the last uh, century, last uh, uh, part of the century. Um, 
we 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 looked at education and learning like this you know uh, there's a famous kind of um a quote attributed to mark twain i think it says that university is the process or the place where uh the notes of the lecturer uh, are transferred to the notes of the student without going through the minds of either <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so that's how a lot of us we we look at education and learning right and it's spilled over into how we look at islamic learning and islamic development as well uh, tarbiya on the other hand is uh what we would argue uh is is something is what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did is is building people mm. uh, the prophet sallallahu came with a message and he built that message into his companions the sahaba and you know they went and built other people uh and until it came to us right it's not simply just the the transmission of information but it's you know uh your knowledge obviously your akhlaq it's your uh, your your um, eagerness to make a change your activism it's it's amr bil ma'ruf enjoining the good and forbidding the evil uh, you know tar- we have a, a model for tarbiyah which if you want we can uh, discuss a bit uh, that looks at seven dimensions right at mm. least of 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 tarbiya so the, the, yes. the what what we want to develop in ourselves in our communities and stuff mm. and tarbiya by necessity it's not it's not just kind of learning something tarbiya is is more like uh, you know taking care of nurturing a, pr- a plant for example you know you give it a bit of water every day a bit of sunlight a bit of you know the, the right nutrients and stuff um and you can't just do that all in one go you know you have to nurture it and you have to look after it you have to um give it exactly what it needs you know uh some so for some of our history that was carried out by different kind of institutions right it might have been the uh, in some parts of the world it might have been the the kind of the sheikh the murid and the murshid and the, the you know sufi tariqa and these types of things obviously this is a very controversial example but yeah uh you know there there is an element of you know the 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 good stuff that they did was the tarbiya you know so you, you know a person who has a one to one connection with his Mm. student his mutarabbi his his uh kind of uh, yeah student um he knows for example this person he maybe he's got a problem of um you know he doesn't have sabr right mm. so he 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 knows that that's the thing i need to mm. you know inculcate or or, uh, or help within this person you might think that person has he has sabr but he's not uh, generous he's not a generous person for example so that's the thing we need to so you can't really do that with kind of a one size fits all or kind of broad brush strokes that's that's part yes. of tarbiya part of looking at a yeah. person trying to uh, you know um develop them uh, and if you look at a lot of the successful kind of uh, we would argue successful kind of movements to to uh, revive the ummah in different places as you kind of alluded to earlier they look at that kind of um mm. they look at development in that way right so you yes. have for example uh, small groups that go to retreats um you know they'll they'll or msas you know in 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 yeah. your part of the world they'll they'll have kind of halaqas and stuff and you'll have that connection with someone who's a mentor someone who's been through the same thing you've been through not necessarily somebody who's been kind of flown in from a different completely different um you know culture different country and don't, don't know what you're going through but somebody who's been you know like a fellow student who's like a big brother to you you know giving that um tarbiya to you so yeah the tarbiya is a is a very very do you, big do you find thing for us do you find that as a general trend uh muslims have moved towards that model or away from that model because the reason why i say that i appreciate what you're saying because i saw this uh emphasized in the late 90s early 2000 then we had 
uh, a phenomenon of like these weekend courses. Yeah, well, the internet. But prior even to the internet, there was this phenomenon of these, well, I guess you could say concurrently. Um, Mm. But uh, you had these weekend courses where it was marketed and packaged very nicely, like Islamic information. So in a sense, it reached a lot of people but I saw the attitude shift a little bit differently. There was a different perspective when it came to development, both from the teacher's perspective, from these du'at or these seekers and shuyukh, because I would say some of them would say, I love this model because yeah. then I can come in, I can go, I don't have to think about these people again, I can just leave. I, <laughs> I, I say what I got to say. I'm serious. Yeah. This is like uh, I've directly. It's tempting. From it's tempting. Speaker. It's it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very. The speakers. Uh, I I've heard it yeah. myself from the speaker's lips telling me I love this because I don't have to deal with uh you know people or whatever. I just do my thing. Uh, mm. I, I give it a weekend and I leave. Right, uh, and then you have the students uh, who, uh, you know this this nurturing that you're talking about or this light or this sustenance, they'll get it one weekend. Uh, in a month or every several months, one weekend or two weekends, and then uh, there's almost like this decay that occurs, and then, okay, you go back to this thing, okay, you join. And so uh, there was this, and then now, we, of course, we see this online phenomenon, like um, people mm-hmm. say this, like, oh, I can see these lectures online. You know, why do I have to go to it? Why do I have to see this live? Why do I have to go in person and so forth? So there is this uh, type of apathy that we do see, you know, uh, coming. Uh, out from people. Yeah. So do you think that uh, we're moving away from the Starbia model because of this? Or do you think it's kind of looping back now that people un- appreciate like, hey, there's a lot of shortcomings in uh, some of these traditional methodologies that we've neglected? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one. Uh, what I want to say is, no, you know, people are going back to, you know, Tarbiya as in a holistic sense. But depending on you know how optimistic or pessimistic i'm feeling or how annoyed i am you know on a particular day i'll think you know this is uh, you know it's terrible if i see for example all the uh, so much fitna happening on social media for example muslims arguing with each other bickering um exemplifying uh, you know um the perfect example of bad akhlaq of how not to act and interact with each other it's like people have done it kind of, kind of honed it to a t yeah. Uh, how how so, not so, some of your UK fights, brother, are, are pretty intense. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. We, there's a lot of sparks that are flying. I think from the from the UK Dawa scene. That yeah, uh, everywhere. I think. I mean, even uh, yeah. even from across the pond in North America. Yeah. I'm not going to mention any names, but yeah. uh, it's. Uh, I mean, we've we've perfected it in UK. You know, we've got all yeah. the people kind of going around refuting everyone and kind of, uh, you know, we we have that we have that uh, on lockdown. Um, yeah. But uh, in terms of like, um, you made a good point about the the weekend courses and stuff, right? Yeah. And that's why I have a lot of respect for uh, people like Sheikh Sajid Omar, uh, right? He, uh, and, and the Al Kawthar Institute. They do, you know, um, mm. their method is, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but I mean, they've been, they, historically, they've done courses all over the world. But he made the point uh, of going and speaking to the local uh, kind of Islamic leaders, the scholars. Mm. Uh, in those areas first to say, look, look, this is what we're proposing. We're going to kind of teach this course. Um, let us know your views. We'll use, you, you know, your material, your school of thought, etc. They don't want to kind of step on anyone's toes. And, and the idea is to empower and augment 
the da'wah that's already happening in a particular uh, kind of community or locality, and that's very mm. uh, that's constructive. You know, that's that mm. because regardless of what the ideal situation is, uh, it's a fact that there are some things that you know um, someone from over here is capable of teaching people over there when there's not mm. much access. Um, either in terms of quality or quantity or or efficiency, uh, there's not much access for people in that area, for example, to learn X, Y, and Z. So learning is still an important part of development and stuff. As mm. long as it's not kind of uh, giving you some own goals, so to speak, and, and kind mm. of harming you in other ways. So mm. that's a really good kind of uh, thing um, uh, those, those brothers and sisters have been doing. Mm. Uh, in terms of, <coughs> yeah, I mean, the... I'd like to I'd like to think that people are going uh, and 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 um, uh, engaging or having some process of tarbiyah themselves, right? And there's mm-hmm. nothing to say that you can't really utilize modern communications technologies mm-hmm. for that, right? Yeah. With I'm always kind of um, I said we say cuss. I don't know if you understand that. <laughs> I'm always cussing Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of social media and the way it is designed to just yeah. um, thrive off scandal and controversy and clickbait stuff. Yeah. Um, but those same tools ca- could be theoretically used. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're here to stay. Some for, of some in some way or another, that, that that kind of whole cyberspace, it's here to stay. And I, I sometimes liken it to, you know, the, what the printing press was a few hundred years ago, five hundred years ago. Um, that's it's it's here to stay. You know, it had it yeah. had its it had its kind of impact on the way Islam was spoken about and studied and and so forth and mm. uh, and likewise cyberspace has the internet has as well so we have to get yeah. to uh, grips with this and yeah you know I mean um, but so, do you so feel people, but but do you feel that the some of these platforms the inherent design of it do you think that it compromises authenticity so for example. I was up praying one night, all night, and I was thinking of how I could get the best sell, uh, how I could get the best selfie to show yeah. people. Hashtag praying while fasting, and mm. uh, and and the biggest question I had when I had set it up and I was going in sujood, I was thinking, okay, what filter would cap it would capture hashtag humble, and then I, I thought to myself, uh, Sierra, it was Sierra. Black and white, a lot of people go for black and white, but it's actually Sierra truly captures the humbleness that I was feeling at that time. Okay. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're joking about this, but this is, you know, um, we've been with brothers and sisters and it's almost like a, a mental disease, how they obsess over their pictures. They, mm. I, I'm not, without exaggeration, they've said that, I put a picture and I thinking about the filter that I'm going to use for hours. And then the rest of the day, I'm worried about this picture that I posted. You know what I mean? Maybe and I use the wrong filter. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you, you use the wrong filter. It didn't capture your, uh, you know, your Iman. Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The piety, you know, hashtag blessed, hashtag Jannah forever, inshallah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it has because inherently the design of this, like when you speak to developers, the way that they design it is they want that 
uh, dopamine feedback. They want you to be constantly engaged and thinking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So inherently the design is to get you hooked. It's like almost like a drug. The way that they design it is like they yeah. want to hack the human mind. So um, so even for myself, like I don't manage personally. I, like, I have like a degree of separation from all the social media. It's like the students, they handle everything and then we'll discuss it once in a while. But I understand. I feel that uh, there is obviously um, within that design a propensity for people to be drawn to behave a certain way. So uh, even though there is benefits, 100%, like I came to know of you uh, through, uh, mashallah, your uh, podcast and, and uh, Islam sure 21. Subscribe and click like and share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, uh, and, and uh, put on that. What is this thing that they told me? It's like, make sure you put on the a notification so that any time yeah, at night. The bell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That you'll get an alert. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so there is this benefit. Um, but how do we manage this, man? Like this is this is a constant push and pull because I've mm. seen the best of people, the best of people get drawn in. And, uh, you know, as you say, like now we see stuff like uh, people's dirty laundry being aired out. We see these online beefs like we're supposed to be a family and ummah, like cover mm. each other's faults and our beefs and our shortcomings. Um, so this gets aired out like for Muslims and non-Muslims to see. So obviously there is inherent limits and design flaws within these platforms. What can we do to change the game? How can we disrupt it? You know, in tech, they always say disrupt, be a disruptor, right? Yeah. So how can we be an, a man-based disruptor for these platforms? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm quite an unpopular person in my local area because uh, with the young people, because um, a few years ago, uh, two summers ago and last summer, I did this course locally called the fiqh of facebook right mm. and i went through loads of um uh loads of kind of uh kind of mini modules right on how to survive online and how a lot of the stuff you're saying and one of the things that really uh unpopular with the, the young people with uh, about is i say under 25 years old just don't have a smartphone <laughs> mm. if you're under 25 yeah. don't have a smartphone yeah. uh because these things uh, you know, as you mentioned, they are designed to hijack dopamine uh, reward circuits in your brain. Uh, they are, they're designed to exploit certain features about young people's brains. Um, because uh, when we're young, especially under 25, that's why car insurance here, I don't know over there, car insurance here goes down after 25 years old because our mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex is still developing and we have an overactive striatum, uh, which makes us more... Um, uh, sensitive to instant rewards and we have a diminished sense of risk right mm. and we get loads of brothers and sisters who get so addicted to this kind of stuff and it and it and it, and it has so many other um so many other kind of side effects right yeah. so one of the things we say is one one of the modules was how to act how to interact with brothers and sisters you know how to mm. um because you know, the, the 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 social media algorithms they will keep you perpetually in in a state which makes mm. you, um, which which makes you uh, stick, uh, increase time spent on site, time spent on the app, mm. time spent on whatever, mm. right? And especially for young sisters, uh, the sisters out there, um, sisters are uh, young women are known to. Uh, take to social media when they're feeling lonely, anxious, or depressed, 
right? Mm. So the algorithms will show you content that will keep you in the cycle of loneliness, uh, anxiety, and depression, because mm. that is what increases time spent on site, right? Mm. Um, the young brother, you tend to uh, spend longer on those posts which get you angry, which mm. show you content that you disagree with, which show you, you know, things that will get you into arguments and fights. Mm. So the algorithm is going to show you those mm. things which are going to keep you more and more, yeah. you know. Uh, not only that, but it 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 has a propensity to take us down rabbit holes into further and further, more and more and extreme content, right? Mm. Um, very, very important study by Zainab Tufeki, a, a social, uh, I think she's a techno-sociologist, right? She studies mm. social movements and technology. She looked at U- YouTube's proprietary algorithm, for example, right? Uh, so she, she, uh, and that was in particular the also watch next, right? Because what happens when you go on YouTube, you watch yeah. a nice video, you know, Salman talking in a, and, uh, you know, on the Slam Trinity podcast mm. uh, clip or whatever. And mm. then what happens when it finishes? Also watch, you know, you want to watch this, maybe you want, and you might have noticed mm. those videos are really <laughs> appealing, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it shows you not what you like, it shows you what you're likely to uh, yeah. click on. Right. And so yeah. she did an experiment where um, kind of a new machine, new account, uh, looking at a um, Donald Trump uh, kind of rally video, right? Mm. It finishes another Donald Trump one, another one, another one. And slowly, slowly, they're getting more and more right wing. Right? Yes. Not because the people behind those videos are evil or whatever, because yeah. that's what that's what they've written. They've written these algorithms that exploit vast amounts of your data and, yeah. and, and know what makes you tick and what makes you click. So yeah. they know that showing this person increasingly right-wing content, for example, is going to keep the increased time spent on site. She did yeah. the same thing with Hillary Clinton a few years ago. Hillary yeah. Clinton campaign video, then it, you know another one, another one. Bernie Sanders one, then another one. Yeah. So it keeps going a bit more left-wing, right? Yeah. She even said just for laughs, I was watching a, a, a video about uh, vegetarianism and another one, and then another one came out, another one, and then eventually led me to videos about veganism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Eat yeah. cheese and drink milk, you know, miskeen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, and she said something very interesting. She said, it's mm-hmm. almost as though you're never extreme enough for YouTube's algorithms. Yeah, right? yeah. And that, that's that, like, that I, I was watching uh, meat eating, like those who just have a meat diet. So yeah. just car- the carnivore diet, and then it led to cannibalism. All the- <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's just, I'm just joking, but it's uh, I believe they call that the internet the rabbit hole, right? Like yeah. they go down the the rabbit hole, and brothers say it all the time. It's like I started watching this video, and then man, I started going down, and then I started seeing this this other. It had nothing to do with yeah. it, but it just keeps taking you down this uh, this rabbit hole, you know. Absolutely, and you don't know where you come out of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and this um, is affecting how we how we understand Islam even, right? Because yeah. if you Google something, yeah. uh, Max Stossel, he done a very interesting uh, piece of research as well. He asked two friends to Google the same thing, right? Mm. Uh, what he asked them to Google was um, how many immigrants commit crimes in Europe, mm. right? He asked two different people the same question, same input goes into Google. One answer is... Um, just kind of the uh, more statistically, let's say statistically significant results, you know, okay, 0.01, whatever percent, very minority number of uh, immigrants kind of commit crimes in Europe. Another friend, it showed him Fox News, Daily Mail, Murdoch Press kind of 
blowing mm. up the um, proportions and, 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 and all that kind of uh, clickbaity stuff. Mm. So two people, based on their own kind of bubbles, their own search histories, their own Google uh, accounts about the data about them, have two now radically different views of the world, right? Mm. Because each of us are, are in this. When, when you want to learn something, you don't go to a library anymore. You don't go and phone up mm. and ask an expert. You just Google it, right? Yeah. And the Google Google algorithm is not giving you completely unbiased result. It's giving you an uh, uh, an answer which increases time spent on site, which yes. takes into account your previously kind of visited publications and newspapers and whatnot. Right. And this affects us Islamically as well. So if I, yeah. once 10 years ago, I Googled something and I went, clicked on Islam 21C, for example. Yes. I'm not complaining. But uh, yeah. now if I, you know, ask another question, it's going to kind of uh, increase the likelihood of Islam 21C coming up. If I was, you know, uh, happened to click something completely different, you know, Islamically of a different school of thought or whatever, a sect, mm. then it would show me answers from, from that. And it, it has a propensity to therefore polarize, right? Mm. Uh, so one person, when when yesterday or you know before the internet was made, you could easily have a conversation with someone who you disagreed with and kind of agreed to uh, disagree, break bread. Uh, you know, they would be your brothers, right? Especially yeah. because you have to deal with them face to face. You have the, the inhibition of the eyes, so to speak, yes. right? You have, you yeah. can't look at someone and slag them off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can it's be hard so to hate someone. Some people, some people act like they're lions online, and then they're these small little kittens when you see them in in, in person. It's like yeah. you were the one that was like making these big claims and these fatwas on me, and yeah. uh, you know, and then in in person, like they don't bring that same energy in person. Yeah. You know, um, uh, there's actually also a good book by Cal Newport uh, that's out there. It's called Digital Minimalism. And one of the things mm. that he talks about is um, he says that your social media should never be on your phone. So he says like the social media, it's like a uh, it's like a terminal. It's like you go to it like as we did back in the days, like you saw the evolution of the Internet. You wanted to I'll use talk. your email. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, MSN Messenger. Uh, I don't it used know if to take like 10 minutes just to start up the machine, <laughs> crying out loud. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, ICQ. I don't know if you knew about ICQ back in the day. Uh, but like those were, and then if somebody, because uh, I'm from the time of dial-up, okay? So yeah. if somebody picks up the phone, it's like, who picked up the phone on the internet, right? <laughs> like, and then someone picks up the phone and there's a screeching, and it hits you that screeching. Yeah. So, so we we came up like through some tough times, you know, like this is these are our tough stories about walking to school <laughs> in the snow uphill both ways, right? Like we had to wait like for a picture to load like five minutes. Yeah. So, so you know, th this is uh, ours. But one thing that we can benefit from is what he's saying is that you go to a terminal. So it's like in a standalone computer, that's when you do your social media. So it's yeah. not so convenient. And that's how you just delete it off your phone or anything that's so convenient for you uh, to use. That's because, really yeah, yeah, because uh, as you... As you mentioned, it has a traumatic effect. Um, mm. There's also a book by Jonathan Haidt, uh, Coddling of the American Mind, and he also mentions that the uh, the effect on self-harm for, uh, for especially sisters, as you were mentioning, yeah. that their hospitalization rate due to self-harm has increased mm. the most age demographic between 10 to 14 years old. Mm. That has like the most increase. So we're talking about over compare and despair. Yes, 
yes, yes. Instagram, and, looking at yeah. other, yeah, and, and you find yourself, uh, you know, as you mentioned, in terms of like uh, people uh, being able to communicate or express diverging views, you go into an echo chamber, you know, you yeah. go literally, and I agree with you, like 10 years ago, I felt Google was better in searching something than it is now. Mm. Like I have to use almost, I have to trick Google. I gotta, I gotta use like a, I gotta use a VPN. Actually, I don't even use it anymore. Like I, I think uh, other browsers now are coming out which are better. Yeah. I, like I'll get better results on DuckDuckGo rather than Google. You know things like that. Mm. But I think Google is very poor because you put in any, if you put in Islam right now, most of the stuff you're gonna get are just uh, like, you know, it's just bakwas. Like it's, you know, it's like garbage. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, so it, it's it's I, I feel it's a poor research tool now, and uh, maybe perhaps we need to develop those skills. Like I, I remember when I was growing up, we used to have classes from elementary on up how to do research at the library. Mm. You know what I mean? So how do you go to the periodicals? How do you go to different categories? So maybe we have to start re-educating ourselves on how to do research because yeah. what's the level of research now? Google, okay, you type in uh, you know whatever search keywords, and and that's pretty much it. But I remember we used to have classes, even in university, how to do proper research, how to look at mm -hmm. studies and, and be able to critique studies or be able to critique sources, you know? That's very, very so, important, yes. especially with understanding uh, how to um, deal with difference of opinion with different brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. Uh, it's very, very important because once you express your own opinion or once you just uh, hear an opinion, uh, let alone before you express it, it takes root in your heart and your yeah. research then after that, if you're not careful, it will just be limited to, you know, um, defending your own point, defending your position. Yes. Uh, there was a scholar, who wrote a very, very beautiful um, passage, right? Al-Muallim Al-Yamani, Rahimahullah. I'm completely going to destroy this uh, by, by recalling it from memory, but it's a very, very important for uh, just look look how honest he is with himself, right? With, with, with thinking about something. He says, sometimes I'll think about a mas'ala, um, uh, maybe a, a fiqhi issue or whatever, and I'll just think about it in, in, uh, in myself until it settles in my heart, mm. right? And then I become, it becomes firmly embedded in my heart. That becomes my position on something, yeah? Mm. And then later on, I haven't even told anyone this. Later on, I might think of something else Maybe that goes against that initial opinion that I, I just just came to me, and then I find some resistance inside me to change my opinion. Mm. Yeah, yes. naturally, and I haven't even told anyone my opinion. Mm. So what then? Okay, if I had expressed my opinion, how harder would it have been? Mm. How much more resistance would I have had to then change my opinion when that new information came to me? Mm. And then how harder, how much harder would it have been had the person who came with the, the additional information not been myself, but someone else? Mm. Yes. <laughs> how much more resistance would I have had then? Yes. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, how much harder would it have been if I had uttered the opinion, uh, the, the, the person who came with the, the new information wasn't myself, but was someone else? And was someone who is my opponent. Mm. Right? Yes. How much harder would it have been then to accept the truth and swallow my pride and 
and change my opinion. Right? That is, this is a person who's writing about 100 years ago. There's no internet. There's nothing like that. The most they do is write mm. refutations to each other you know, with, you know, like uh, feathers or whatever, <laughs> quills. Yeah. And then they, they, it takes two weeks for, for it to ref- arrive to the other person. Mm. Imagine now the impact this is having. This is, these are scholars who have worked hard on, on their own self-discipline and their control. And now mm. I come along with one of these and uh, you give it to a child, a 15, 14, 15-year-old child, they have an opinion now, they, they broadcast it and they go through this, uh, this, uh, this mm. you know, um, uh, phase, this episode uh, where they're, you know, disagreeing with people online openly, they're expressing their opinions left, right and center. And then when some new information comes to them, naturally they're going to find so much resistance and all, their, all of their research is going to be expended, not... Mm finding the truth, looking for what is closest to Allah, but mm. looking for what, you know, supports my opinion. Yes, this is this yes. is the, one of the greatest traps of shaitan, subhanAllah. Yeah, and, and I, I think that, that, that fundamental principle comes when you look at the attitude of the NBA, when they would go to the people and say, we don't seek any compensation with you. We're here to give you this message, and we don't want any payment from you. We don't want mm. any compensation. Where you look at the online world, you're always trying to get that social media cred. You're trying to build that credibility. You're trying to build those followers. You're trying to build that attention, you know, uh, for yourself. Um, and, and it can get so disgusting. Like, subhanAllah, I, I just as I, I saw an article today. I don't know if you're familiar with this. There's a YouTuber by the name of uh, Mika Stouffer, okay? And she adopted, so she does, like, her life on YouTube. Like, okay, this is how our family does stuff and all this stuff. From what I can read from the article, I've never seen her page or whatever. Uh, but sure, sure. <laughs> but pardon, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm her number one fan. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so uh, she adopted, or their their family adopted this uh, uh, Chinese baby. Okay, after two years, they said, "Oh, this baby was too difficult to deal with. Oh, the baby has autism." They returned the baby. The wow. baby lived with them for two years, and they took full advantage of taking all the all the cute pictures and and uh, you know the selfies and the Instagram and all of these things. And then when the baby became too much of this child, this is the home that the child knows. Think about how traumatic it would be. Yeah. Like you know, it, and she has her she has biological children as well. Okay, so she has this biological ch- child, and you know maybe she thought, okay, let's. Put this new, it's like, you know, the new seasons of like TV shows. Like, we need to get a new yeah. character. So it's like, okay, we get, a, we get a new like character on the show. So they get like this Chinese baby and then they use it and then you return a human being. Finally. To me, I was like, subhanAllah, look at the level uh, of depra- depravity. Like, this this causes you your uh, to, to, to fill your nafs. Like, uh, and what you were mentioning uh, in terms of the statements, I think. It, it, it uh, harms you or precludes you from being able to have those sincere uh, thoughts within yourself, because uh, you're always, as you uh, you know, as, as we know very well, you're trying, you're putting it on display, and once it's mm-hmm. out there, it becomes very, very difficult to call that back. You're you're more willing to defend that, even though you know it's wrong, rather than retract it publicly, right? Yeah. Or to lose your uh, social media cred, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really respect how lot, and we should have a lot of respect for people who just say, you know, maybe I was wrong, and, yes. and we should encourage that behavior. 
yeah. when someone instead of just kind of going after someone, maybe someone made a mistake, they they wrote a, a sloppily worded tweet or something. Yeah. Uh, if they say, look, maybe I, you know, I was I was wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize. Any offense caused, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some people just keep going after them now because they've just yeah. they live in a polarized kind of uh, world now where they're just in either you're a good person or you're a bad person. If you're not a good person, you must be a bad person. Attack, attack, attack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or, or 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 you view everything from a certain lens. So, for example, um, you take a clip from somebody who it's maybe like a two minute clip. Mm. And then you make vast assumptions based on that two-minute clip. Yeah. You don't know if that person thinks these different things. I, I remember even happened to myself. Like uh, I was making a point that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, which is true. Mm. Like why would we ask in Islam even for references? You know, for certain things. It doesn't mean that we don't <laughs> believe in Toba, right? Yeah. So uh, a particular individual. Someone make that feel on you because you are claiming to predict the future. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> no, no. They, uh, I believe uh, it, it was told uh, to the person that, oh, does he not believe in Toba, right? Like, <laughs> where do you get that from? Like, from yeah. a two-minute clip and you make this vast assumption, you know, uh, based upon that. But yeah, that would have been cool if they thought that I could uh, predict the future, you know, subhanAllah. <laughs> so, um, and this is basic, but, basic, yeah. this is this is a basic uh Problem of tarbiyah, right? This is one of the first things you 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 try and inculcate in your own children, even that have a good good um, good husnadhan of someone. Uh, assume the best. If there's two possible interpretations of something, interpret it in a charitable way. Yeah. Uh, you'll be happier, <laughs> and that person will be happier. It's, you know, interpreting yeah. things with suudhan is just gonna make your life miserable and um, start and 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 serve for grounds for discord and sowing uh, disunity and and and, and hatred amongst. Uh, amongst yourselves yeah and so i, I like this uh the, this uh tarbiyah camp that you guys have mm. um and do you now restrict any type of like smart devices in these camps uh not really i mean during sessions and stuff so it's called yeah. sabil it's a three-year program uh it's mm. in many different uh countries now alhamdulillah uh, throughout mm. europe and so it starts off as a three-year program, and then it kind of people who graduate from there goes on to you know you have your own cohort, you mm-hmm. uh, you meet them regularly, uh, three or four times a year. It's very nice, you know, you you get away from all the hustle and bustle, the daily life, mm-hmm. and uh, you're just with the brothers. And in, in some programs, you have like families, so the sisters are in mm-hmm. one kind of lodge, and the brothers are in another lodge, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's just getting away from uh, all the hustle and bustle. And we normally kind of uh, choose one uh, Quran related topic to reflect, do like a mudarasa. So maybe, mm-hmm. um, uh, for example, the, you'll choose um, a topic, maybe have a group and say your topic is to look at, um, uh, akh- um, let's say, akhlaq of the prophets, for example. Mm-hmm. So throughout, throughout uh, you know, XYZ juz. Right, or Surah Al-Baqarah or something. What can we learn about the Khlaq of the Prophet? So that group then goes away and everyone thinks about, you know, uh, in preparation for the the, the camp, um, they'll think about, uh, they'll read that those ajza or whatever, uh, that, those parts of the Quran, and they'll they want to look for these lessons. Mm. And they'll, you know, they'll come, you'll sit in a circle and um, you won't chant anything. You'll just uh, kind of uh, discuss the ayat and yeah. the reflection that you have and so forth. And subhanAllah, um, uh, one of our uh, mashayikh, Sheikh uh, Ashraf Hussain, he said, we should all try and have different khatams of the Qur'an. 
right? Mm. One khatam for different complete whole, kind of whole readings. Mm. One for just ada, just just um, uh, reciting as an act of worship and mm. servitude, right? Um, you know uh, that you want to recite the whole Quran, so you do that the whole Quran. One recit, one um, khatam, khatma for, uh, for example, shifa. For, for with the intention of healing any issues that you have spiritual or physical uh, another reading that you have personally of for example i want to read the whole quran um, and think and look for lessons on uh, parenting for example mm. um, or raising children um, you might have another khatma of the quran and you're thinking i want to learn lessons for da'wah right so you, you go through the whole quran Personally, you can have different kind of bookmarks or something uh, for you. Uh, you can do them simultaneously, for example, you can do them one by one. And that way, you know, subhanAllah, whatever you're looking at the Qur'an uh, for, whatever you're looking for in the Qur'an, you'll find guidance on that thing, subhanAllah. Right? If you're approaching the Qur'an, looking for marital help, guidance on, on you know, how to be a better wife or a husband, you'll find guidance for that. That's part of the... You know the miracle of the Quran, Subhanallah. So the Quran is, you know, reflecting on the Quran in particular is is a key part of the these tarbawi kind of uh, cycles and retreats and camps and so forth. And this is something that you know we all have. We all have the same Quran, Alhamdulillah. Yes. And uh, we all have this treasure that we can dip into whenever, uh, whenever we want some tarbiyah, and, and that's always a good kind of source uh, for us. You know. Mm. What we, what we do in our leadership uh, development tarbiya camp is zero smart devices. So no no smart watches, no uh, smartphones and tablets. And the first uh, day or so, people go through detox. So they're like twitching, you know. <laughs> and they're just like, you know, it's like they're tweaking out. You know what I mean? Like, and they're just in their sleep, they're just swiping. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Like they don't know what to do with their thumbs anymore. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> So now it's for thicker. Your thumbs are now for thicker. Yeah, yeah, so, fine. so uh, they um, they go through this period. But guess what? Year after year, the people who go through the worst uh, detox experience, they say that was the best part mm-hmm. of the camp. Is that you? That they're disconnected from these smart devices. They yeah. didn't realize the effect that it had. I have brothers saying that I've been going through, struggling through depression. And I feel like clarity in my mind. I feel like more, you know, obviously there's a connection to the dean, but they're able to even express themselves emotionally better. They, they say, I'm able to communicate. And they will express things and they'll say things that they have kept in their heart for years, for yeah. years. Like, it's just shocking, like big, full grown, big, big brother, just like breaking down in tears and just mm-hmm. uh, releasing that. And it, it goes to show how a lot of these things just like, uh, cage you they like shackle you from your heart like expressing yourself or mm. uh, you being able to like even think with clarity like it's amazing how many of these distractions and these devices uh and they they have their purpose and their function but it has that counter effect as well like there is a harm that you have to be aware of you know mm. what i mean like for example if you were to operate any type of tool uh, they give you the safety, you know, like if you're, yeah. you know, if you're a roughneck, you're working out on the oil rigs, they're going to tell you, hey, this is the safety of all these devices because it has a function. It can do things, but it can also harm you. But we don't get that training necessarily. or A lot yeah. of times we aren't able to provide ourselves in situations where we can be free of that. 
you know it's more dangerous than you know power tools it can do yeah. more damage these devices can do far more damage i would go further and say the intended purpose for the people who design these things is to continually uh, fracture uh, our attention and make yeah. it easier for us because this is what this is what many people say that we the the economy that this these devices live in is mm. the attention economy right mm. that they they they're competing for you're the product my I'm the product my attention uh, is the product that's being kind of scattered uh, um uh, split up and sold for advertising uh, you know against advertising revenue and and, uh, and stuff so uh, that's what that's the primary <laughs> especially mm. if something's free that's the primary kind of uh, business model is to capture our attention our data and uh, um, you know and and the the social media kind of aspect mm. and the, that we regard as the main thing that's usually the secondary or tertiary mm. kind of uh, aim of these products yeah, I, 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 one of the things I remember talking to one of the brothers in a haraka, I said, you know that uh, there are so many points of data now that they that they're that they're recorded about you. Obviously, there's uh, we know because of a lot of things that Snowden revealed that there's a lot yeah. of spying that goes on, even from a governmental level. And so this brother told me this is how Subhanallah subjugated. Sometimes you become mentally like you mentally enslaved yourself. The brother's like, well. Uh, I don't mind. I have nothing to hide. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they're willing to give their freedom up because they say, I don't, I said, brother, okay, do you, do you trust me? He's like, yeah, I trust you. It's like, do you have any ill feelings towards me? No. Do you think I have any ill intention towards you? It's like, no. I'm like, brother, do you mind then if you give me your phone and I can just go through, scroll through your emails right now? It's like, no, man, why would I do that? It's like, no, because it's <laughs> right. But you we're Muslim and you, you just said right now we trust and we love each other. But you don't mind because you're not. You don't have nothing to hide. Yeah, you have nothing to hide. But it's <laughs> like you know the government does it, or you know these other mm. companies do it. But you know I, I want to switch uh, streams here for a minute. Um, do you feel, or, or and because you're in the in the thick of a lot of this uh, Dao and activism, do you feel that there is a uh, specific or a unique role to play uh, for us as Muslims living as minorities for Ummah revival? SubhanAllah, yeah, I mean, um, the part of our kind of um, uh, strategy that we, we like to talk about, Islam21C and our kind of connected projects, um, is for Muslim minorities living in non-Muslim majority areas, um, is to try and make those countries uh, as Muslim friendly as possible, and to try and uh, increase uh, da'wah, uh, and, and education and 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 uh, the freedom of Muslims to practice Islam freely uh, in those uh, areas. And in addition to that, because those areas tend to have far more privilege and power and a say in, unfortunately, in what happens in Muslim majority countries, mm. um, to to use that influence to try and make uh, Muslim majority countries more transparent, more dare I say democratic, we say in terms mm. of its, its functioning so that the people, the masses, they have a say in, you know, how they're governed and what, um, you know, uh, the, the rules that they're subjected to and so forth. There's more transparency, there's more justice generally uh, in those societies. So uh, for we have this thing called the um, uh, the star of, of influence, right? Uh, this is uh, from our Sheikh Sheikh Haytham al-Haddad. Mm. He 
kind of champions this when he speaks to people. Um, mm. I don't think he'll mind me mentioning this because I think he's spoken about it in public many times with many people. Mm. Um, and I'm probably going to kind of butcher this <laughs> again, recalling it from memory. But yeah. in terms of what to focus uh, on our efforts, uh, mm. it's it's Muslims entering the political sphere uh, mm. and practicing Muslims with who mm. are undergoing tarbiyah and giving tarbiyah as well to be involved in the political realm, the legal sphere, the uh, finance, the uh, economy, so mm. business, finance and so forth. Allahumma salli Muhammad, and you don't forget one of them. Uh, media, right? Mm. That's the fourth one. And for Islamic countries, Muslim majority countries, the you know the the military and and, uh, and so forth. Mm. Um, it's obviously a, a problematic one for non-Muslim majority countries <laughs> because a lot mm. of them are kind of engaged yeah. in uh, unjust wars and so forth. But yeah. if you're in a Muslim majority country where you know joining yeah. the army and put police, and it's not as much of an issue. Then mm-hmm. that is a sphere, that is a, a kind of domain for positive mm-hmm. uh, impact and activism as well. So, mm-hmm. um, for the, essentially, practicing Muslims should try and uh, enter these kind of uh, in, in, as Muslim uh, minority countries, the, the four kind of um, uh, areas. So, politics, yeah. um, mm-hmm. law, legal profession, uh, mm-hmm. finance, slash econ- uh, economics, and media. So, now, you, you mentioned this, and there's there's some problems maybe that could be associated with that, right? Because in politics, for example, uh, you can join, say, for, in Canada, you join political parties. There are certain things that you have to uh, publicly accept to be part of that party, which would go directly against your values and your principles. Uh, so that's in mm. the political sphere. Financial sphere, you know, we are dealing with like interest-based systems, you know. Yeah. In Canada, there was a efforts, there were certain projects and efforts for Islamic banking. Unfortunately, all of those ideas fail to some degree. And I would say part of that as well is there's an undercurrent and people who get involved in all of these things, but there's politics, media and everything. It's more individualistic rather than uh, like Islamic motivated or Ummah motivated, yeah. right? So mm. it's about my, I'm doing this so I can get my career. I'm doing this because a lot of those people who tried those, start those banks, they were actually crooks and they yeah. stole a whole bunch of Ummah's money, right? Yeah. So, and then you have people who are involved in media and it's the same thing. You got to toe a certain line. So if you're part of the uh, BBC or you're part of CBC here in Canada, you have to toe certain values, you know, uh. Uh, uh, in, in when you're when you're involved in mainstream media. So all these different things uh, may require you to compromise your values and principles to a certain degree. And it can, even if you try to go in it with like the best of intentions, it can wear you out and spit you out on the other end, you know, completely different person. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a very important um, consideration to have, right? And that's where tarbiyah comes in, right? Uh, so our tarbiyah should include um being able to practice islam being able to um, champion your own values your own positions whilst in these spheres right so if you say for example um in in, in political issues if you have a dilemma right you say okay uh, my local party is saying you know election time you know the party x is saying this and party y is saying whatever yeah. um 
what do I do, right? Mm. Now, Muslims need to be able to navigate this uh, this dilemma in a way which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah didn't leave us without any guidance uh, mm. for any situation, right? Mm. Whether you're stranded on some island somewhere or whether you're in, you know, um, 10th century Medina uh, surrounded by Muslims in the in Khilafah, Abbasi or whatever, right? Mm. Wherever you are, there is something you can do, right? Mm. Uh, there is a way where Allah is pleased with you and, and, and a decision where Allah is not pleased with you. And this is part of this is having a um, letting those people with the experience, with the knowledge, those the, the, the scholars, giving them the position and platform to make these tough decisions, right? Mm. Uh, instead of, you know, each and every person for either individualistic kind of career goals or motivations or just the angry kind of brother on the social media who wants to refute everyone, you know, don't listen to them. Listen to the people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has put as, you know, guidance, as beacons of light for the, each respective community. People who live with you, the scholars that live there, they can say, don't do this, but do this, right? Yeah. And it's very, very important for us to listen to people on the ground there in that same time, in that same place, in that same area, um, you know, um, rubbing shoulders with the people who know the people's concerns, who know the situation political situation there because what we'll often do is either to um, justify our desires or for another reason maybe maybe a good intention but we end up doing something very wrong we might look at the theoretical statements of people in another country or the mm. fatwas of, of, uh, of a mufti in another country or in the last century or something and then try and apply it ourselves into a particular domain mm. into a particular time and place Whereas the, the 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 normal, you know, what's what's normative, what's known about a fatwa, what's known about any Islamic ruling here that has anything to do with a time or a place, especially when it's juggling, you know, two different things, especially if it's some kind of dilemma. Mm. What's known is that has to be uh, uh, deferred to the people who of knowledge, who are on the ground, who are in that area and that situation, right? Mm. That's why. You know, uh, Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, he, he titled his um, amazing kind of uh, book on, the, you know, the anatomy of how a fatwa, how a mufti works is as A'lam wa I'lam al-muwaqi'in al-rabbil alameen. You know, uh, the muwaqi'in al-rabbil alameen, he calls the people who give fatwas, those who sign off on behalf of the Lord of the Worlds. Yeah, this is a huge, huge thing. Mm. And uh, it's a very huge, massive mistake and, 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 a, and a deficiency of our tarbiyah if we then do that thing ourselves, if we don't have the authority to do so, we can't take, you know, statements, decontextualized statements from another country, let alone another century, and, and attempt to apply them in our situation on ourselves. So that's mm. how, that's part of tarbiyah, just knowing, you know, I know about this thing, I'm going to give some uh, guidance on this thing. I don't know about that thing. I will defer that to people who are of knowledge and understanding. And if we do that, if we have this, this humility, this epistemic kind of humility that there are some things I don't know and I, even if I can read, you know, things from a thousand years ago, there are things, you know, that I haven't studied, I don't know about how to implement that on the ground. Mm. I defer that to the the, the, the local scholars, the, the Islam, and, and for big things, usually there's, there's councils of scholars, right? When councils of scholars get together, they debate, they argue, they are much more likely to come to a decision where Allah is pleased with us following them, even if they ha happen to be wrong, 
Because the Prophet Sallallahu said when a hakim, when a, or when, a, or when a judge or when a, a scholar, he, you know, uh, he expends effort at coming to the right conclusion. Even if he's wrong, he's rewarded by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. Mm-hmm. Right? That's far safer for us to do than every person being in his, his own kind of judge, jury and executioner, so to speak. You know? I, I hear what you're saying. The, the issue is that for even for us to come together to that point, that there's a barrier to that. For people willing to come together, that's one. Mm. Number two is that uh, many times many of the scholars are perhaps disconnected from what is happening on the ground or the real life scenarios, right? The other barrier and the trend that I see, I don't, I'm not sure if you're experiencing this in the United Kingdom, but what I find here in North America is that it's be it's becoming harder and harder. Uh, if you go within these established institutions to preserve your value and your identity, because there's a trend that a lot of the diversity that they tout is superficial. It's yeah. like you can have a poster. Okay, so I have a poster for my political party. Hey, look, there's a uh, there's a black person, there's a white person, there's an Asian person, uh, there's a man, there's a woman, there's non-binary, there's a rainbow. Uh, they all look different, and let's celebrate diversity. But you all have to think the same. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, I'll give you like a real life scenario and maybe you, you tell me your thoughts like the um, liberal party here, which has done good things for Muslims in terms of standing up for Muslims rights and talking about Islamophobia. And it was better than the conservative government in terms of that attitude before that. But the prime minister a very vocally and straightforwardly stated that you can only have one opinion on abortion. If you don't have this opinion, you're not in the party. Mm. You know what I mean? So there is no room for dialogue or discussion. And that has changed because these parties weren't so rigid. Like it's like this whole uh, advent of identity politics. And so you try to show, hey, I'm diverse. Uh, I accept debates and we can have healthy debates and respect one another. But it's become more and more superficial because I, I was born and raised here and I've seen that myself. Like I felt mm. people were more ex- accepting of different ideas and discussion and dialogue, you know, 20 years ago than they are now. You, yeah, you know that's I mean? a common uh, sentiment. I, I, I see we see that in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, there was a there's a there was a conscious trend away from what they used to call multiculturalism towards a muscular liberalism where. You know, um, certain values and certain uh, beliefs and thoughts have to be imposed uh, on people, yeah. and uh, it's it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult uh, challenge. But we have yeah. to work together to overcome this. And you know, I find that in all of these struggles and all of these arguments, the, what the Muslims are calling for, right, genuinely, is something that appeals to the fitra, appeals to the natural disposition, it appeals to just the commonsensical person to yeah. say. To use your way and to me is mine, right? Yeah. Uh, and it it's actually, I mean, we had a I had a, a discussion. It was recorded with uh, Asim Qureshi from Dr. Asim Qureshi. It's called "Can Muslims Do Their Own Politics?" Something like this, right? Mm. And it, there's no recourse but for Muslims to strengthen their own organizations, their own uh, what we call here civil society, right? Um, 
charities, uh, educational organizations and so forth, lobbies, media organizations and so forth, so that we have that clout, we're, we're able to stand on our own two feet and express these are our opinions and call other people to them, right? Mm. Um, when it comes to Muslims joining these parties and going for this office and that office, yeah, they're going to have to, you know, um, you know, one person calls uh, Dr. Abdul Wahid, we had a, a podcast with him, he said it's like a striptease, right? To enter into the party, you have to take off, you know, your jacket. Then to go higher and higher up, you have to take off more and more garments, right? There's an element of truth in that. And that's mm-hmm. is something that is very, you know, uh, dangerous for just the, uh, anyone to do. That has to be, you know, um, done in close proximity to scholars if anyone's going through that traditional kind of party route. But alongside that, there needs to be Muslims to either, we, our message is, create lobbies, create organizations that, hold people in these um, parties to account, create media organizations, for example, that empower you, that give you the narratives to to speak your own uh, mind, mm-hmm. to, to tell your own story, uh, to hold these people to account, for example. When mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, everything about this deen and, and, and what Muslims are calling for and asking about is naturally, is irresistible, right? Mm-hmm. It's tempting for anyone to agree with. There's nothing in this deen that is telling you that's completely, you know, like ridiculous, astaghfirullah, mm-hmm. that you can't mm-hmm. can't agree with. Even in these issues of diversity and so forth, if you look at it, if you think about it, Muslims' call is what? Give people genuine uh, freedom and diversity to disagree with each other in, a, in an amicable way, right? Don't impose your views on someone else. This is what, this is the, in essence, what Muslims and uh, as minorities are calling for, right? Someone would have to be a, massive hater in order to disagree with that and they this is why the narrative is never spun like that it's always spun as here is the enlightened progressive way and here are these you know backwards people that are in need of kind of enlightening if we have our own powerful kind of media organizations lobbies and so forth to express our opinion to express mm-hmm. our message in a way where it's efficient for the current status quo, the current media landscape, the the PR you know machines and so forth, where we're able to express in concise and and uh, sophisticated ways, and and unsophisticated ways, very simple ways. And I, I'm always saying because you know as as a movement, you need everything from the sophisticated lecture, well, that's an hour, all the way down to the the juvenile half a second soundbite. Right, mm. you need all and everything in between if you want to create some kind of dis- change in discourse. Right, mm. we need to empower ourselves to do that. Right, so I'm not saying you know completely throw out the traditional party system, but at the same time, if somebody's going into them, fair enough, they have to be very careful and you know um, uh, and 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 act according to you know what the local uh, their, their their scholars that they trust uh, are advising them. But generally speaking, for the Muslim community, we need to work together empower each other, overlook the relatively minor kind of uh, disagreements and, and arguments people have, and work towards a common goal. What is that? Making these societies more Muslim-friendly, making it easy for me to uh, you know, live and practice Islam as a Muslim, to call people to Islam, to educate my children in a way which is you know, congruent to their uh, iman, to, to their natural disposition, to their fitrah, right? to save them from being brainwashed by something else. Right, to 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 save uh, brothers and sisters being attacked in the streets, for example, mm-hmm. to uh, have uh, to be able to campaign for changing the law to make it closer towards justice. Okay, mm-hmm. 
these types of things that all Muslims can work together on, regardless of their school of thought and uh, and whatnot. So I don't know if that answers have your you, question. Have you, but... have you? Okay, so let's say in theory, and I agree with you. In theory, it's it's good. Obviously, there's uh, some hazards along mm -hmm. the way, and then when the time comes, um, there will be some difficult decisions that need to be made. Have you seen this manifest itself? Like, do you have an example that you can point to that you've seen? Hey, uh, Muslims can be a part of these things and remain authentic and remain true to themselves. Have you? Do, 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 is there examples of that, or are there, you know, things that you've seen in the UK, for example? Well, I mean, if I look at the trajectory of where we're headed, right? In the UK, for example, uh, when I was growing up. We had a a strict kind of, kind of basically a two-party system, liberal, uh, sorry, Labour and conservative, left wing and right wing, basically traditionally speaking, and Muslims um, traditionally and historically only stuck to one party and supported you know members of that and uh, candidates of that party and so forth, mm -hmm. and that was um, it was a mistake in, in terms of, I mean, it was a necessity for some people back then because one, the other one was like overtly racist and you know, yeah, telling yeah. You, kicking you out and so forth. But yeah. what I've seen in the last 10 years or so, Alhamdulillah, yeah. is more organizations and lobbies appearing amongst the Muslims that are genuinely connected to the, the Muslim community, mm -hmm. uh, making a type of Muslim manifesto, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I see this as a, as a trajectory of, a bit of political maturation, right? So not mm. putting all your eggs in one basket and throwing your support behind mm. uh, one kind of party where they're just going to take your vote for granted. But instead, mm. having a manifesto saying, we want these 10 things, putting it to all the parties, all the candidates mm. in the local area, and saying, mm. which of you uh, candidates encourage Muslims to hold hustings, mm. hold hustings, you know, where, where, where candidates come and debate each other and answer questions. Put it to them in these different locations saying, here are our demands. What do you agree to? Four out of ten of them. What do you agree to? Nine out of ten of them. Okay, we're going to hold you to account. Okay. Mm. Um, so, and it, it's, it's that way you don't get accused of putting all your eggs in one basket and having your mm. vote taken for granted. And, you know, um, next election cycle, the people on the ground in that uh, kind of uh, area, in that, in that location, locality, mm. they can say, look, this person, he agreed to 9 out of 10. He only did one mm. of them. So we're going to take that to him now, right? Yeah, the thing is, yeah. we, it's a long process, right? Yeah. Other communities have done this. This is how democracy works. It's a long yeah. process. It's I, a multi-cycle, uh, election yeah. cycle thing. It's not just show up and put a tick on the box and yeah. then go and go to sleep for five years. But yeah. alhamdulillah, I've seen now a lot of these brothers and sisters in local um, mm. communities even in the masjid now where, you know, mm. 20 years ago, if somebody came to the masjid talking about politics, they would have been kind of shouted away and saying, this is haram and get out of this place or whatever you sell out. Now those same people, you know, <laughs> we've spoken to brothers who are a bit older, they're saying the same people now inviting us back, right? Mm. They've they've got a bit of life, life experience now. They know that there's no recourse but to get involved and so forth. It's a bit late, yeah. but better late than never, right? So now there's the the tides are turning. The young Muslims, I think, mm. I think generally, mm. are more uh, interested in, or uh, they feel more than their parents did that this is where I belong. This is where mm. I was born and I raised. This is where Islam belongs, right? Mm. I'm not 
here on holiday or just kind of saving and there's there's some place back home where I'm going to go to. Um, that's how our parents felt, I think. Mm. Um, and that affects how you, how, how deep you put your roots in any mm. particular area, right? And that's our kind of difference of our generation. And maybe my kids now, our kids now, you know, maybe their kids, Allah Alam, right? Mm. Are they going to, do they feel British? Do they feel Canadian, right? I think the answer mm. is yes. Um, yes. Now they're going, that's going to affect how they act. And I've seen this trajectory now. Uh, and it looks like it's a good, and there's no, there's no, no silver bullet. Right? People, mm. people always think, but what about this problem that you're having? What about that problem? Mm. And that's not how you act. <laughs> that's not how you analyze. That's mm. not how you carry out good research, right? You have to look at mm. different, all the different uh, aspects and say, okay, this is working. That's not working. Let's do more of this and let's do less of that. Right. Yeah. It's not just the kind of uh, broad brush that you paint with everything. But the key, yeah. one of the keys is, to feel that you belong here. Do you mm. feel that you belong here? Uh, and you might have seen in the news uh, protests happening outside um, uh, primary school in Birmingham about uh, what they were, what they called the proselytization of LGBT ideology on their kids, right? Mm. And we did a podcast with uh, some of the brothers who led those protests. And they said something very interesting. They said it was the younger mums and dads Mm. particularly the mums that were most active, mm. right? That were, you know, calling people to protest and so forth. The mm. elder ones, mm-hmm. maybe who were born somewhere else and they came here, they were, their attitude was, this is their country, don't tell them how to run it. This mm. is their country, let them teach whatever they want. Mm. Right? You just tell yeah. your kids a secret, ignore that part. Yeah. But the people who were young, the younger mums and dads, they were like, who the hell are you to tell me how to raise my kids? So they had yeah. that confidence where mm. they, I don't know if what the minimum age group is but of the, mm. your audience, but mm. I'm not going to swear anything, but they were like, basically, you know, get lost. You know, who are you yeah. to tell us? So they yeah. had that confidence. That, that was one of the different key differences that, mm. you know, they were born and raised in in this society and they feel that they're part of it. Yeah. Uh, whereas there, there, there are exceptions, though. I've seen some elders, you know, because how what you're mentioning about, uh, you know, not being so uh, omnidirectional or just one, you know, singular in your thinking. I remember about uh, 16 years ago, there was an uncle uh, who was involved in politics quite a bit. And so he invited me in my capacity as a Muslim Student Association president to his home. And he hosted these gatherings with different Muslim leaders and he would uh, in one gathering have uh, people from one political party. So conservative party, the leader of the conservative party in his house, in his mm. home. And then, then he would have liberal party and then he would have NDP. And then I asked him, I said, uncle, I'm like, why are you like, uh, aren't you selecting some, the person that you want to win? Like, aren't you just picking one uh, particular candidate? And I, I didn't get it as much uh, then as I do now, but he was like, Better that way. Anyone who wins, we win. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he was like trying to be friends with everyone and show that, hey, the Muslims, we got your back. And then the other one, hey, yeah, Muslims, we got your back. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, and he, obviously he couldn't, he wasn't, uh, maybe he, he couldn't get um, so many people on board with him to do that, like in terms of doing it at a, at a Muslim official Islamic organization. But he was just doing it himself, right? He was just doing it himself. He called, and it would be really odd because you would have like sometimes 
like uh, this political candidate, he'd come in with his girlfriend and she's kind of scantily clad. And then all these like uncles, you know, <laughs> sitting around, right? And I'm like, man, this looks so weird. And I would be thinking like, uh, what's the point of, uh, of me being here? And he like specifically said, I want you to be here. Make sure you come here. I want you to be here, right? You so think that had an impact on you as, as an adult? Well, you know, later on, like, cause I, I felt that this uncle was authentic because, you know, sometimes, uh, because I've experienced in the community that people do things for their self-interest more than they do for mm. my interest as a general uh, trend. But I felt this uncle, like, he's been the same, like, since I know him for 20 years, uh, he'll come, he'll support whatever Muslim causes are. He, he'll be, and I can see that he is sincere in that, like, whatever a Muslim cause is, uh, you know, he'll, he's, he's there, he, he, he's trying to support it, he's trying to give encouragement, he'll use his own social mm -hmm. network and promote things. And it's awesome. a very unique attitude, and it's like a, uh, but it's an anomaly. Right. It's yeah. it's not the it's not the norm because I'm sure it's a similar situation where you're at. But everyone just has their territory. And it's almost yeah. like these gangs that have their territory. OK, we're just going to stay in our territory. You stay in your territory yeah. and we're all good. Right. But, um, you know, nobody's sometimes thinks about uh, that bigger picture. And I think it comes yeah. down to being being authentic, like to yourself, like uh, what what are my values and are my value? Do they supersede? what my individual desires are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, he sounds like a very interesting, uh, very, uh, he sounds like a gem, mashallah. It's yeah. so cool. But, but, but you're also correct in the fact that I feel that younger generation, but I, I feel then now it's, it, there is a little bit of a change because say our age range, mm -hmm. they're, they, they have, they're, they're born what, and raised early here. 20s. What? Yeah, yeah, early, 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> early 20s, right? <laughs> so, um, so these, uh, us young guys, right? Uh, this age range, uh, we still have that exposure to uh, a lot of the traditional dawah, so to speak. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Traditional activism and, and things like that. And some really great gems and, and, and scholars, which are fewer and far between, uh, I would say, uh, nowadays. So I feel what you're saying that our particular age group or generation, they have like the confidence, you know, it's like the difference in the generation between uh, the people of Musa salam, and Yusha bin Nun, right? Yeah. It's like complete different type of attitude mentality, uh, much more daring, willing to challenge the system. But then like, cause I, 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 I have been doing halaqas in universities past 11 years and so i deal with it on a regular basis like people who are coming up now in universities and so forth but it seems like they are more conditioned in group think like not to have individual uh thoughts or to be to go against the system you know what mm. i mean once they found themselves in a particular tribe it's hard to like you know sometimes change their mentality like they have this idea about you know some of these other issues that you've mentioned like um whether it's LGBTQ, whatever it could be, but they're now conditioned to think a certain way. I think because just a, maybe as the educational system has evolved to train them in that, yeah. you know, in that sense. But now I'm seeing like now uh, almost a recession of some of uh, the confidence that our generation now is willing to do in terms of challenging the system. I don't know. Do you see the same yeah. 
thing there coming up, or um, is it different you know, here I in Canada? That's a good point. I mean, there's at the same time as uh, a gener generations as they go along, um, more and more people, you know, feel part of the society and feel that they belong here. At the same time as that, you you also have um, a whole generation now of adults now who have grown up within the war on terror, for example. Mm. And someone could argue that the war on terror and the the, the local um, anti-Islamic kind of policies were specifically designed to combat this a burgeoning kind of confident mm. uh, Canadian and Muslim or British and Muslim identity and try and clip their wings, so to speak, and, and try and make them force them with um, kind of uh, at, uh, at, at, at a risk of kind of uh, state suppression, where they, it's the kind of uh, countering violent, violent extremes and CVE policies, um, you know, brandishing certain normal Islamic kind of uh, beliefs. Like, I'll, I'll give you extreme. an example. During my days, like young, younger days, protests for Palestinian issues were massive, just massive, yeah. massive. And then I remember a few years ago doing a halaqa, and at that time, they had just put in legislation in Canadian law that is illegal to be part of like this BDS movement. You know, yeah. uh, boycott and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Israel for uh, some yeah. of the human rights violations. And I remember a room full of Muslims, brother, not one of them knew that this was new legislation. They had no idea. They were so disconnected in terms of what is happening, you know, in terms of the, you go back. Uh, if I were to go back 15 years during my time at university, man, it's completely different like we were on the pulse we knew everything massive pro and you would get non-muslims involved and like we'd be very very vocal but now i, I looked at this generation i'm like you have you're so disconnected you don't even know you can't even first of all who knows if you would protest or not but yeah. usually the protests that they're joined are already hyped or they're already trending so they're willing to join things that are already trending. Oh, I'm doing something. I'm socially act. I'm activist or whatever. But you know, I mean, to do that, we yeah. do kind of sound like a couple, a couple of grumpy old guys. Though. Yeah, we're all grumpy yeah. old men. Back when I was, when I was a young man. Yeah, but 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 similar. I mean, the brothers who kind of I looked up to when I was coming up, um, say people 10, 15 years older than me, they would say, you know, to us that you guys, you know. When we were in university, we used to have football tournaments and have massive banners saying, you know, raising money for the Mujahideen mm. <laughs> in Bosnia, in Afghanistan, back when it was cool, you know, and Rambo was helping them and stuff as well, you know, against yeah. the Soviets. Yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, that was their kind of um, the daringness. And then our generation, you know, um, late 90s, early 2000s, 9-11 happened and, you know, our wings were clipped. And now we're saying about the next generation. So there is that. Um, that kind of trajectory that, that that's quite dangerous. Uh, I agree, um, but I suppose it requires us to have it on our radar. But, but you know what's happening to, to us, uh, brother, brother. Sorry to cut you off, but I want yeah. you to think about this dimension of it, because I deal with non-Muslims like every day, regular basis, mm -hmm. and you talk to many of them. They also have within their own like communities similar type of issue just because of how fundamentally the world has changed because of these online platforms and the way that we just fundamentally interact with each other like mm -hmm. in terms of just even non-muslims uh 
say that okay manners are gone character is gone like people don't have good upright character it's yeah. a, more about looking good than being good you know all like even not muslims are saying that so i would disagree mm. in the fact that yeah every generation say oh i know we used to do this thing but the difference is is that the generation before me they invested in, in me and there was and mm. our interaction was direct face to face and there was a lot of face time that tradition within one generation now is FaceTime means something else. Exactly. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. So IRL now is like the anomaly, like is the alternative. In real mm -hmm. life is the alternative. Now the mainstream is like on uh, online. So there's yeah. a difference. There's a big difference in this generation than mm -hmm. I would say generations that have been coming uh, along. I think that's some that's a dimension we need to keep in mind because it's not only affecting us, but society, whether it's Muslims, non-Muslims as a whole. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. A lot of people are say, you know, different um, fields. They're like, uh, we moved away from an ideals-based society or an ideas-based society to an image-based society. Right, where it's all about the spectacle, it's all about you know uh, the selfie and and uh, kind of short term, quick, quick kind of uh, quick results. Subhanallah. Uh, but um, I think yeah. that that has to be on our radar when when we're when we're delivering tarbiyah, when we're organizing tarbiyah. Uh, I mean, in lockdown, it has to be you know we're forced to electronically, but face to face, talking to people, uh, getting their you know. Um, uh, feedback, uh, speaking to them, how they're doing, how the how's their iman, and, and you know, I, I would say that the 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 locus for the issue you're talking about is to try and hone in on just their confidence as Muslims, right? If we can get, if we can tick that one, then that a lot of other dominoes will fall into place, I think, right? If they feel uh, grateful for being Muslim, they feel grateful for Islam, right? Um, and how do you get that across? There's many ways you can kind of think, but it doesn't come from somebody telling them, you know, Islam is good, be be a good Muslim. Yes. Uh, that's not enough just to tell them that. You'd have to, for example, uh, um, tell them stories, tell, give them examples of people who are far away from Islam and how miserable their lives are. Take them. I always say to young people, for example, um, you know, just speak to people in the police, speak to people in the, the National Health Service and speak, speak to people in uh, the social services. They, those three kind of um, uh, professions, they actually see Friday night, you know, in uh, outside the pubs and the clubs and, and mm -hmm. accident and emergency rooms and the hospitals mm -hmm. and social services, you know, when, when kids are taken away from families and so forth. Mm -hmm. They see, you know, what's beyond the veil, so to speak, mm -hmm. beyond the, the kind of superficial facade that's shown in the, in, in the media and, and in all areas of cultural production. Where we just you know, we just consume things that make us feel good about ourselves, about our society, and so forth. We don't see the social ills that are so widespread, you know. And we see all of these things when we speak to those people. When you look at those those issues, those ills, and we, then we see the, the the you know it gives us a renewed appreciation for Islam. For example, it allows us to, you know, that's just an example. The aim is that the, the learning objective is the terrible we objective is, for example, confidence and gratitude uh, in Islam. And then this might be like a just a kind of a plan that you a lesson plan so to speak for uh, for mm. our brothers and sisters. So mm. that's the kind of uh, you know um, uh, the, how how we we would try to address those things uh, about the mm. the Palestinian thing, for example, in particular. Mm. That reminds me of a very good uh, professor in the UK, um, Professor um, David Miller, 
uh, he and some of his colleagues, they made this uh, thing called the five pillars of Islamophobia, right? Mm. Um, you have five pillars of Islam, they made five pillars yeah. of Islamophobia. And yeah. one of them they identified was um, Zionist lobby, right? Social mm. movements, Zionist lobby, uh, and yes. how um, the Palestinian cause in particular is um, because of the Palestinian cause, Zionist lobby has been indirectly involved in trying to clip the wing, so to speak, of mm. burgeoning kind of Muslim, uh, genuine, authentic, grassroots Muslim activism. Mm. Um, and so that that's one of the things that has to be on our radar so we can counter mm. it, so we can have our own, for example, lobbying for our own interests. Mm. Uh, and it's all part and parcel of, you know, the, the, the political and the media kind of uh, mm. realms. Uh, if mm. there's legal challenges that need to be made, then legal challenges are very important, right? Mm. In the UK, for example, we have a disparity uh, in the law where mm. uh, if somebody, for example, attacks or abuses a uh, a black person uh, mm. or a Sikh or a Jewish person, they will, the 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 bar for um, the uh, for evidence for proving uh, for getting a conviction under a particular race and uh, religious discrimination act. Um, it's lower, right? Mm. Than if somebody is attacked as a Muslim. So if somebody mm. is chasing a Muslim around with a knife and kind of trying to attack them and stuff, or mm. you know, spitting at woman in hijab or something, um, for that person to get a, uh, a conviction under the, I think a uh, different slightly, they have to get this slightly different um, piece of legislation. You have to prove intent, for example, right? Mm. So this is a disparity in the law, and. Mm. There's no way to get rid of the disparity but to have people who are fighting specific test cases in through the courts, right? Mm. To get a more, uh, and, and you're all pushing society to the direction where it's more, it's easier to be a Muslim. It's a more Muslim-friendly uh, country or society, right? Mm. So that's, you know, the, the, uh, the, there has to be, so the BDS, for example, the law, if mm. Muslims were strong, empowered, they were able to, stand on their own two feet rather than express their their ideas through the discourse through the language of another people then uh, muslims would be able to challenge that law that's prohibiting bds uh, mm. and so forth right and mm. it requires some of this yeah yeah <laughs> requires, 100%. yeah yeah a friend of yeah. mine a, league, a lawyer friend of mine he said defamation and uh, libel cases is a millionaire sport Right. Mm. So, the you know, you have to yeah. have a lot of money to 100%. go after 100%. a newspaper if they're publishing rubbish about you yeah. or your imam or whatever, uh, a scholar, Muslim scholar somewhere. Um, money plays from done. the time of Rasul Sallallahu You know, you have uh, you have fundraisers, you know, the famous cases of the Sahaba giving their all their wealth, have their wealth. So that, that's part of the whole comprehensive uh, Dawa game. Mm. You know, Jazama Khair, uh, you know, I know it's late there, but I really appreciate um, the time that you've given uh, for us. Pleasure, bro. And uh, we, inshallah, we're going to do something IRL. You know what I mean? We're do some IRL thing. Uh, where hashtag we, IRL. Uh, yeah, hashtag IRL, hashtag so humble, br- hashtag brotherhood. Hashtag uh, I'm so sincere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag a number one piety, right? <laughs> So, uh, uh, inshallah, we get get you and uh, you know perhaps if uh, Sheikh Haytham's available as well, bring yeah, uh, bring 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 both of you here. Well, obviously, we are in a unique time, so uh, when things become safer, inshallah, we want you uh, to come here and uh, continue to build these bonds of brotherhood. I think uh, this is a fundamental mandate that we should have: is as Muslims who have these types of values. 
we should, if we talk about unity, let's do it. Let's uh, put ourselves on the line. Let's meet one another. Let's extend our hands and make efforts towards that. So uh, I really appreciate uh, your thoughts, the way you're thinking, your efforts. These are things that we need to support 100%. So uh, we joked 100%. about it before, but but people should. Uh, I would encourage everyone to read uh, articles on Islam 21C. I've been doing it for years. I enjoy those articles. I enjoy many things that are mentioned on there. I enjoy your podcast. So all of the these things, in the mail. Uh, we, we need to support that. You know what I mean? So uh, 100%, alhamdulillah. Uh, so... Uh, so uh, inshallah we'll, we'll get you on again even as a, as a guest in the future we'll, we should have some of these discussions again openly anytime uh, bro and, anytime yeah, inshallah on, on a regular basis and I really appreciate that because like I said to our uh, viewers that uh, this is really late and uh, you know uh, sometimes you deal in the dawah game you deal with very fragile du'at so alhamdulillah it's good to see that <laughs> you, you're not like marked handle with care right yeah. uh, on you so <laughs> Alhamdulillah. As long as so, I get a first uh, class seat when I come over. Yeah. Oh, first class, you know, <laughs> first class in the back of the plane, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you, but, but, but seriously, uh, I feel that because I, I'm in a professional world where, you know, people who aren't, I feel, have necessarily more to offer to society than uh, many du'at and speakers and whatever, they're treated like royalty. They're treated like royalty. I've been, you know, to uh, uh, gatherings where you could say they are um, pretty successful in their profession and uh, in what they're able to achieve. Like you get a taste of what maybe the one percent, uh, you know, mm. live like, and you see like how shallow and how uncaring it is. I think that we should just care for one another. If honestly, if 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 we could bring you first class, I say bring you. Why not? <laughs> Hundred percent, bro. Like, why wouldn't we do bring? Uh, uh, okay. No, no. I'm, but, but, because we do make fun of it, and I, and there is yeah. merit to that. There is merit to say, hey, as a daya, you have to be able to sleep on the mm. floor, right? But if someone is putting you in a, in a nice, comfortable five-star bed, why not, right? Like, but, but we should care. It's like, um, uh, it's the, uh, I believe the statement by, uh, I don't know if it's Ibn Uthaymeen where. We have to give that care. Uh, the students have to give, or we have to give yeah. that care to each other. But then you also, your responsibility is to say, "Hey, you know, it's okay." And, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm good, bro. Right? But you do your but bit, we, I'll we, do mine. Yeah. Yeah. As long as there's Evian. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so we'll uh, in, inshallah we can uh, meet each other and we can care for one another and uh, we'll uh, inshallah try to continue a lot of these collaborative efforts for the future and so for our viewers inshallah our next podcast will be on saturday and uh tune in then it'll be 2 p.m mountain standard time remember live by the haq die by the haq just when you think life is stuck tune in to life haq Zamakhir, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.